friends! Welcome to episode 141 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can. Whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft, or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level. I'm Sarah. And I'm Rob. How we doing, Rob? Oh, jeez. Yeah? Uh, you know, I would say that I'm doing well, considering. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Work's been a little tough, but like... I didn't sleep well a couple nights, and that definitely showed off, and I appreciate all the efforts you put into kind of turning this week's show around from what it was. Oh, no um, But, uh, yeah, I just, I, I don't think I was ready for this week as much as I would have liked to have been, and then some stress got in there, and it just didn't help. So yeah, that, get your sleep fair. when you can. It's that's worth it. That's perfectly fair. Yeah, the, the, weekend, so. the weekend ended, and Sean and I were just like, this This weekend needs just another day. Like, yeah. Yeah. Monday just needs to be another Sunday and we can, and we'll cope, but <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, and, and I feel like we're, I'm just behind the curve on a few things mm-hmm. and I'm trying to get caught back up with that. But yeah, uh, yep. that's, I mean, I can't say I'm complaining all that much. I'm healthy. I'm doing okay. Yeah. yeah. Helping people out. But yeah, I think I, I feel like I'm like a step behind right now. So yeah. Yeah. But, uh, so kind of on a gaming front, um, we've, 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 uh, a friend that we're, we've been gaming with, um, uh, who should recently joined our Discord here, uh, is uh, revealed to us that he had never played The Division 2. And both you and I were like, oh my god, no! <laughs> we have to go play it again! <laughs> yes. Uh, so that's been fun. And uh, because of uh, the system spotlight we did, mm-hmm. this is kind of my segue here, the system spotlight we did on uh, Cyberpunk 20... Uh, uh, sorry, sorry, Cyberpunk Red... Um, I picked up on Steam sale uh, Cyberpunk 2077. Nice. And I've been playing through that for the first time and been having an absolute blast with it. Um, and I think the only reason I bring it up is because I, I think I mentioned during that, um, during the system spotlight that like Cyberpunk and like futuristic in general was just something that I had a tough time wrapping my brain around from a storyteller standpoint. Mm-hmm. Like I'm sure I could get into it as a player, but like as far as inventing stories... And being able to immerse other people in those stories. Right. Um, I don't know. I, I have a tough time conceptualizing what cyberpunk looks like in action. And okay. playing this game has really actually helped me a lot because I've got all these visual cues and all this dialogue to go off of and stuff like that. So um, it's been uh, it's it's been nice from, from both a storyteller and a video gamer standpoint. Okay. Okay. I, I could see that. I... I've been kind of doing the opposite. Like, mm-hmm. I've had to, uh, when I've started to look at the cyberpunk games, because there's so many out there that have been making up the genre, and it's interesting to see how varied the the stories uh, of the world are. Like, what may, what got it to that point. Yeah, yeah. You know, you've got some where, like, if you go far enough back into games, we've got, like, Syndicate Wars. Do you remember that? I remember Syndicate, yeah. And Syndicate was just basically our world of capitalism continued out till basically, like, the globe is almost a city onto itself. Yeah. There, yeah. there aren't places outside of city. Like, the urban spaces are still mega cities. But everything has, like, a level of Yakuza going on. Mm-hmm. Like, where corporations and mobs are almost blended. Yeah. And it was just a neat way of of seeing what happened in the world. Not even, such, you know, cutting out the subsect of just how the cyber technology works, but, like, how that blends the world all the way out to, you know, uh, almost Numenera settings where we are now, you know, uh, where we're steps beyond advanced civilizations and we've cyber technology was around all the time Mm -hmm. like 
people aren't born anymore into the world. Like, that doesn't exist anymore. You are birthed, and based on defects or other things like that, or what your your classification is, you may come out with biotechnology and cyber technology that's required. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's a whole part of the world that's already there. So it's like cyber technology that's included in a, a sub- you know, modernized world. So we're dealing with like, in some cases, almost like a Western culture, like, you know, Western as in gunslinger, you know, or, or, you know, Bushido world, but like cyber technology is just the thing. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, uh, you know, it's just part of what's already there. It's not even a thing, you know, there's no twist to it. Right. Right. Um, but I just thought that the, the interesting twist on that was the fact that like the world, like there's a uh, almost a zero dawn situation where people are being birthed out of sy- systems versus natural birth happening because that's not allowed. Like that control was gone sure, for sure. some reason, yeah. you know, in the past. And now we're at this apocalyptic state where you don't get that choice anymore. Population is controlled. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. like, oh, that's an interesting take on it. But all of that is within this breadth of cyberpunk, and it's it's neat to see all the designs that people have gone to to try and not be the same as everyone else. Yeah, you know. Yep, yep. Uh, Sean, of course, has been uh, continuing to work on his own uh, his own game, getting that set up and stuff like that. And uh, he recently discovered the interface zero three point rules. Okay. For Savage Worlds. Oh, okay. And that that's their cyberpunk setting, or one of them, anyways. I think there's there's a there's another one. Um, Sprawl Sprawl Runners. Okay. I want to say um, is is another one, but I don't know if Sprawl Runners is updated for Savage Worlds Adventure Edition. Um, but I, I do know Interface Zero is, and he said he was looking that over, and it looked really good. Nice. Okay. Okay. Uh, to, to the point where he was really set on the Nova Praxis setting, and then he, he really was. He read, and then he read uh, uh, Interface Zero, and he was like, "Oh, now I'm having a dilemma. I don't know." <laughs> this this comes right into our 101 that we just talked about. Yeah. But we didn't discuss the. I have this great idea, and while working through that great idea, a new great idea came mm-hmm. out. You know, well this this one's this one's more actually geared towards what our next one hundred and one is going to be, and that's turning it into a concept and picking the game system for it. Um, no, I think that fits. And and but but the thing is about Savage Worlds is that it's not you know the the setting is one thing, but um, and we're really just talking about two sort of cyberpunky settings. Yeah, two very, very much transhumanist so. cyberpunk settings. Yeah. Um. But he's got some some different rules um, mm-hmm. in each set, and the great thing about Savage Worlds is that you can really kind of grab and mix and match from your different. Rule Very sets much so. Very much so. Because it's a generic setting, you know. So, anyway, uh, enough about cyberpunk miscellanea. <laughs> True. Uh, and let's let's take it back. <laughs> let's let's take it back. Um, so I mentioned earlier, System Spotlight. We are doing another System Spotlight. It's the second Wednesday of the month. Um, so today. Uh, if you listened to the end of last episode, yes. you are expecting fate. We are not doing fate. Not doing fate. Uh, we had a little bit of an oopsie last yep. time. Um, so I guess what happens when you uh, do 141 episodes of a show. Tis true. Uh, you forget that episode 54, was it? It's like 52 or 54, F- 52, yeah. I wanted, yeah, 52 sounds right, actually. Yeah. 52 sounds right. Um, was a system spotlight on fate. Mm-hmm. We'd already covered it. I went back and listened to it again. I'm like, oh yeah, we, we did a reasonably good job of describing it there's really nothing we can add to the discussion there's not really a good update to it so um 
If you follow us on social media and or on on the Discord, you did see we made some announcements that tonight we're doing Mouse Guard instead. Often referenced, uh, but never really yeah. described. Haven't never haven't had a chance it. to to spotlight it. Um, we've definitely talked about the simplicity of the system, the some of the narrative examples of the system, how we enjoy playing it, uh, and some of the stuff that we we'd like to pull out of the system. Mm-hmm. We've never talked about the system, so yes. I guess it's time. Um, also which is kind of cool for us is that it's a local system. Like it was birthed here in Detroit in, in the greater Detroit area. I'll okay. Say. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I think that's great is that, uh, is that it, it kind of harkens back to that. Plus it started as a comic. Oh, as yeah. A, a full like graphic novella, which was beautiful and, mm-hmm. and had a compelling story enough that it birthed it very quickly. Like, um, and there was two editions and it's, it's not like it's, been around that long it's been uh 2008 was the the first and then the deluxe was brought out in 2011 Mm -hmm. and then Mm -hmm. we had the re-release the second edition release um which was uh november 2015 so honestly it's it's a relatively newer system yeah say it it feels like a newer system too and that's Mm -hmm. uh, the uh, it's based off the burning wheel system Mm -hmm. um and uh there's a very heavy emphasis on role play throughout the system, and of course, we'll, we'll get into that in a lot more detail. I was trying to remember what the what the most recognized Burning Wheel property is. Oh, I don't even remember. Yeah, um, I was I, I didn't get a chance to look that up, but I'll I'll take a quick look up on that one. Um, but keep going, please. But uh, yeah, no, it's it's got a very a very uh heavy narrative, heavy um, uh, based around all the storytelling. Uh, in fact, as you'll discover a little bit later in our in our in our spotlight here it doesn't even have a proper combat system like your other traditional games so um i i would put this very much in like the uh uh powered almost powered by the apocalypse level of um of abstraction uh in that like it's combat felt very very akin to something like monster hearts or uh urban shadows mm-hmm. where you don't even have you you kind of have an aggressive action. You don't even have like, you know, damage and hit points and stuff. You mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. Um, there's no miniatures. There's no grid. There's no tactical to it whatsoever. Um, and it's all about the storytelling. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I think I think that sort of a trend is a very new trend in gaming. Like, as as we realize that games can be so much more than hit points and armor class. And roll for initiative as we realize that they're storytelling games and not tactical combat games. You know? Yeah, I I definitely think it took time to get to that point where we could start to remove the mechanics that were unnecessary. I think there was some extreme versions of that in the uh, early 90s where mm-hmm. we had um, not a lot of lore-based systems, but like simple games. Like very simple games like uh, Who Killed Dr. Lucky, I think, was one. Um which came out about that time frame where people were basically just trying different tight, small narrative systems, but they always felt like they were lacking some elements of, of uh, agency as far as, uh, and mechanics as far as skills and uh, randomness. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I, I really like about the burning wheel system is that it's exceptionally easy to learn and yet still is a mechanics system. Oh yeah, at its very yeah. core, there's still a lot of mechanics, but it is not dependent solely on those mechanics. It uses them 
in a way that makes sense. Yeah, there, there's there's iterations of complexity, and that's yeah. what really struck me when I was poring over the rule book. Um, I, I knew Mouse Guard, I mean, because we, we play in a Mouse Guard game. We do. Both you and I. Yeah. Um, and, uh, Very much happily. Uh, it's amazing. It's it's uh, so different from any other role-playing experience I've ever had. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so, but but I don't I don't know the mechanics well enough that I could write them from memory, you know. So oh, I, God, I, yeah. I I picked up the rule book off of Drive Through RPG and I'm pouring over it and going like, okay, yes, I got to remember to mention this and I got to mm-hmm. remember to mention that, and just going over that book and just seeing all the complexity mm-hmm. in there that they do off of such simple rules. Yeah, you know, we we picked it up in an afternoon, but. I'm still learning little ways to tweak the, you know, to to learn to learn to to use the rules mm-hmm. and situations that have come up that 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 different rules would would come across. So yeah, it's it is definitely a. I will flat out say the book is a non traditional rule book. Very much. Like if you're, I will flat out. I, I will say this: if you grab the Mouse Guard book and expect it to be like a D and D book or a Palladium book or uh or a um. Uh, powered by the apocalypse book, with the way that it describes the rule set, you will be horribly mistaken. Oh, it's going to throw you for a loop. Absolutely. And and honestly, I would have to say the first time that I looked at, um, I looked at Mouse Guard, probably back in its first edition, mm-hmm. um, it was very confusing. I didn't understand it because I had no reference. Yeah, that it was yeah. a narrative story. It didn't come out and say that because it didn't. I, I don't think it needed to at the time. It was its own system, and in that, it didn't know that it needed to explain itself differently than what was canonized as role-playing. I'll, I'll agree that I'm very glad that we're in a game. Yes. And that I can see it and experience it firsthand, because I think if I just picked the book up off the shelf and tried to learn it, I think I'd be in the same boat, where I would just be a little... Disillusioned. Uh, yeah, a little, a little weirded out by it, because, well, like... Because I mean, first off, like your your core rule mm-hmm. for this game is, um, you have a skill, mm-hmm. some some sort of number representing mm-hmm. what it is you're trying to do. Yep. Okay. You don't even have attributes. Yeah. You just got the skill, mm-hmm. and you roll that many six sided dice. Mm-hmm. Again, we're ignoring weird modifiers that'll sure, come into sure. systems and stuff like that. But your base rule is take that many dice, roll them. Successes are four up. Yeah. You count the number of successes. Base level of success is one. Yep. yep. And then it goes up from there. Sometimes you have some thresholds you've got to clear. Yep. And and the other aspect of that is something that is not available anywhere. And that is, you can just choose to fail. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you don't even have to roll. You can just say, yeah, I don't make this one. That's an option that is listed in the rules, yeah, and it's and it's a good option, as mm-hmm. we'll get into when we start talking about advancement, because yeah. there's a whole system in here for failing forward, right? And I think that right there sets it apart from everything else. Mm-hmm. I don't think I can't think of another system where failing beyond I would say seventh second edition, where failing a and creating and accepting a consequence is something you actively do as a player. You know, the Mad Elf is at home twitching right now that you're using the word failure in reference to Mouse Guard I so do. much right I now. I do, because it's not failure. Because there is no failure in Mouse Guard, is what our, what our will, storyteller keeps you telling You will us. succeed. It's just there will be consequences there will be for some your con- It may not look the way you the want it to. The story progresses. Yes. The story progresses, but there are consequences. Um. So let's follow our traditional path 
regardless of how the book is laid out, let's yes. follow our traditional path of discussion, and we'll talk about character creation first. I think that's so a good way. We just told you all the mechanics in the game. That was by it. By the way, that was it. You Roll have, dice. You have an applicable number to the thing that you're doing. Mm-hmm. It, that number will be on your sheet. Mm-hmm. You roll that many dice. Four and up is a success. That is that is the base mechanic. It is that simple. And that's it. That's the yep. whole thing. Yep. So, um, what should we, oh, you know what? I think the one thing we didn't we didn't really put on the we we talked a little bit about setting and theme, but I don't think we really talked about what Mouse Guard is. I think we can get to that. Let's let's get through a little bit more of the mechanics. Well, the I think creation. I just want to talk about what what. What it what, what we're it building out of this? Okay, okay. All right. So, so Mouse Guard is a different world than even most people think when you think of Mouse Guard. It is simplistically put a group of anthropomorphic mice that are f- just mice size. They are not gigantic. They are yeah. physically mice. This isn't like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, where quote unquote they're turtles. No, this is. Mice. They're just mice. They're literally just mice. Some of them may have little bits of armor or capes, but effectively they're in a feudalistic um, time period. Sort of medieval-ish. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a, a a gray area there. But let's let's look toward medieval. We haven't hit Renaissance. They're not doing high mechanics or anything like that. There are no firearms no, per there's se. There's no firearms, but yeah, little tiny little mice with cloaks and spears and shields. Right, and. The whole thing centers around their culture mm-hmm. of the guard. You are part of the guard. Whether you are a elder in the guard or whether you are new to the guard or whether you are someone who is um, who is a patrol leader or a captain, these are all positions, but you are always part of the guard. This doesn't give you the option to be a farmer mm-hmm. that joins the guard or a, uh, you know, a a, a, a ferryman or 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 a, you know a trail guide who who works with the guard no, no no you are part of the guard that is it that is your job and it all wraps around that guard society so when we talk about closing in the scope of mm-hmm. a story to meet of only what your character can see and we're talking mice that's it that's your society you don't meet with hedgehogs and have conversations with with you know uh with other creatures those are the creatures don't communicate with you. Yeah, they're they're animals. They're animals. Now but the mice, the mice are are are, diff- are sentient, correct? And the weasels, weasels and the weasel cousins, like correct. ferrets, right? And minks. Yep. So there's a, but again, those are all outside the purview of the players. Mm-hmm. Those are just the storyteller's components to be able to use within the story. Yep. Birds are dangerous. Owls are super dangerous. A a a tree falling down is literally a catastrophic disaster. Uh, one inch of snowfall closes everything down. Yeah. It's, it's it's like being in Texas. One uh, one inch of snowfall destroys everything. Yep, yep. I um, mean, you want to get a foot in? It's apocalyptic. We we had uh, we were traveling in spring in one mm-hmm. of our games, and there was some there was some rain that had created a flood. Really, it was probably like an inch worth of runoff. Maybe, but to us, it was torrential. Yeah, and it, it was totally a new river changed, sprouted up in the it, middle of the exactly. Field. It changed the entire mm-hmm. area. Like that didn't wasn't a, you know it was a walking path at one point that maybe a deer had used. Yep. Now it was like a raging river that cut through a major trade route. Last game session, uh, we ended up getting into a bit of a tussle with a badger. And as I said to a couple people on Discord, it was like trying to fist fight a tornado. Mm-hmm. 
Like it's it's the, like one single badger is that big of a deal. Like trying to fist fight a tornado. It's a it's a force of nature. You don't win. In fact, I don't think we've I don't think we've won against a single like large creature. No, we've driven them. All we of fought, them. We fought a snake, we fought a badger, but even both of those were like we stabbed it enough times that it decided it just didn't want to be there anymore. Yeah. Yeah, we drove it out and yeah. that was it. And but that's the difference is is that we are dealing with a very small scope in story that's very tight. We are not extending the the themes of this story beyond the mice mm-hmm. and what they interact with within an area that is probably no more than a couple, couple acres. dozen acres yeah. at most, yeah. at most, right? And that's it. I mean, this literally probably is all playing out in the back corner of somebody's field. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Yep. You know? And it's, it's you know, I for those who are in the know, Fraggle Rock was very much the same thing. It was a very, very small set. Yeah. Yeah. You know, now that you say Fraggle Rock, I'm going to say it actually does kind of have that sort of, almost that sort of feel. Very much so that, that, that you're, you're dealing with a very closed environment. So with that setting in your head where you're dealing with mice who are dealing with their own mice culture, it has all the other components that make up a really good setting that fits within that. You have quest givers mm-hmm. that are direct. You're literally being told as a member of the guard, this is your job yep. for the week. The, the guard has specific jobs they do. Yep. And there are a process for, there's a process for these. There, once you're out, though, you're autonomous on how you get that done. There's a hierarchy of leadership. Yep. And um, it, it makes it a very straightforward storytelling platform, but gives a lot of agency to the players to then be their characters. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what makes it unique. Yes. Is that it takes some of the best components that we've seen in other systems and literally d- distills them down to their rawest components and says, here is a basic world that achieves all of these mm-hmm. things. Good luck. I know uh, Knox in the box earlier said something effective, like he he couldn't play uh, Mouse Guard because uh, he couldn't stand being uh, in a game where tiny, adorable, an- he's a tiny, adorable animal that gets injured. Oh, jeez. And it's like, I, I understand the sentiment, but I think it feels far different when you have a spear in your hand and you can stab the weasels trying to eat you. <laughs> you it know? changes your perspective quickly. It does, yeah. It really does. But it also gives you... Uh, you still have that hope and wonder. Yeah. And I yeah. love that. I love that about being able to play into it. And that's, I think, what one of the big things that I really liked about it. But I, I think we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later when we talk about yeah. conflicts. Yeah. Because the conflict rules, I think, are what really sets a good tone for what this game is and wants to be. And wants to be a narrative piece, yeah. First, though... Character creation. We'll talk about character creation. By all means. Um, so one thing you should, that you should learn about this game, and this is kind of what we said, like, if you picked this, this book, it would um, feel very strange to you. Uh, is because the character creation chapter is called entitled Recruitment is way in the back of the book. Mm-hmm. It's actually the last chapter of the book on page 300 mm-hmm. is where they give you character creation rules. And basically they started off by saying like, yeah, I mean, you can create your own characters if you want. Honestly, our, using our templates is probably good enough. Mm-hmm. You're like, okay, you know, mm-hmm. it's not even a priority to create characters, but, no. but here you are. Yeah. If, if, if you, if you want or need to. Right. Um, and its position in the book right there sends a clear signal that it's deprioritizing 
um, the importance of these character creation rules in lieu of, like, story and personality. Like, it doesn't matter so much what your mouse can do Mm -hmm. as much as who your mouse is. Exactly. um, And what stories you want to tell with them. Uh, So... One of the things that, um, that that kind of struck me right away when we started playing was that there's kind of an asymmetrical group composition. Um, and by that, I mean uh, there's no classes to speak of. There's no, like, fighter, wizard, ranger sort of thing. Um, but you have ranks instead, mm-hmm. and that's your rank within the within the guard's hierarchy. Um, from tender paws, which are new recruits, all the way up through guard mouse, patrol guard, patrol leader, or guard captain. Um, each one of these kind of has a different set of skills, some different amounts of skills. Um, and there's also an, in, uh, an inference of age, like tender paws are very young. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of their youth, they have a very high health skill mm-hmm. it means they bounce back from injury very quickly and such like that, but they don't have as many like resources or circles, which are kind of like your contacts. Right. Um, and of course, they don't. They haven't spent that much time with the guards, so they don't have a lot of your pathfinding skills, fighting skills, all those other things that maybe something like a patrol leader or a guard captain would have. Right, or the or the wises that go along with that. What yes. they are very knowledgeable about a, a specific lore piece. Exactly. Yep. Um, so the older, more experienced ones are going to have higher will, mm-hmm. but lower health. Um, and then, of course, your more specialized skills and wises and resources and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um. There's only one patrol leader per group. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was forced into that position against my will, mm-hmm. uh, but I play the patrol leader in our group, Moira. Um, guard captain is restricted to storyteller approval. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if someone plays a tender paw, we have two of them in our group. We do. Uh, one other player must be their mentor. Yes. So I have a tender paw. Yes. Um, and uh, it's it's wonderful that these uh positions are put in because it it instantly seeds role play mm-hmm. into the group yep that you've got this young wide-eyed tender paw who wants to learn everything about being being a guard mouse and then you've got me who kind of has to take her under wing so there's right there you've already got a relationship forged in that and you've talked and a, bond, a lot yeah. about yeah liking having bonds forged during character creation. Yes, I, I'm very much for that. And that it uh, it helps the players know where they are. One of the things that I like about the system in general is that it being a narrative system, you're already taking away a lot of the tactical, nitty-gritty, number-grindy parts of, uh, of those systems and yes. get people into the right mind frame. But also it gives your players a per- place to say, okay, who in this group is going to be a leader person? Who in this group is going to have childlike wonder and be a little bit more needing of guidance? Yeah. And it, yeah. like, those are player tropes mm-hmm. more than anything else. And and we've talked about that, that systems don't normally do that. And this system very much puts it forward again. Yeah, absolutely. Which absolutely. I think is great. But I think also within that, it it helps to the next step, which is then your life path creation, mm-hmm. where you're kind of bringing together who that mouse is. Some of them are going to have very small life paths, while others are going to want to have more detail. And you again, you're back to those types of players that fit those roles. Right, so. right. Um, so basically, the character creation kind of goes through a, a series of stages. So you choose your rank, um, 
and that's going to give you basically the, the, the raw, like, beginning part of your skills, your health, your will, a little bit of resources, circles, um, maybe, it'll tell you how many wises you can have, um, and it'll give you a couple of starting skills, but then, um, you've got different steps along the way, such as, like, okay, what is your natural talent? What is just a thing you're just good at? Mm-hmm. Cool. Put it on your sheet. Yep. Um, what was your parents' trade? Because you're going to naturally absorb something from growing up and living with your parents who were woodworkers. Yeah. Where where cool. do they live? You grew up in a woodworking household. Congratulations. You have plus one to your woodworking. Like, you just pick that up. Um, an apprenticeship. Before you became a guard mouse, who were you? What did you do? Um, your mentor. Um, that you studied under. What did they do? What would they have imparted upon you? My own personal character was a um, uh, studied under an apiarist. So I'm all about bees. Uh, I always I always look for honey. I try to have some honey on me. If we stop in, I always spend some time at the apiary because mm-hmm. it's kind of a zen thing for me to be with the bees yep. and stuff. Um, and all of these things go into being a sum. Your, your character becomes a sum total of your parts. Yes. Rather than just being, you're a warlock. Right. Here are your cool skills and your awesome abilities. Yeah, you're in your cookie cutter warlock just like everybody else, but the only thing that differentiates you is maybe a couple stat numbers in your in your in your uh uh your role play. Mm-hmm. In this, everything is such there's so much diversity in it. Yeah. And that doesn't even get into what your um uh your uh traits are. Correct. Which, again, are not what we normally consider mm-hmm. traits, you know, or attributes. These skills and traits are things your character actively uses. Mm-hmm. In a, it almost a, um, what's, uh, some of the other systems might call them, um, uh, I'm trying to go after, I'm trying to find a system that would have it, uh, advantages. Yeah, yeah. They would almost consider them advantages or hindrances in some cases. But the thing is, traits actually function as as both. Correct. At the same time. And that's yeah. what I think is really fascinating about them. It's actually very very much like aspects in fate. Mm-hmm. Um, where every single one of them is a bit of a double-edged sword. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, uh, my character is rational. Mm-hmm. Okay. Not rational. irrational, just rational. Rational. <laughs> Sounds great. Sounds mm-hmm. great to be rational, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so when, when faced with a problem, my character approaches it in a very structured way, mm-hmm. tries to do what is most logical and such like that. Mm-hmm. However, that can be a detractor when I need to think on my feet. Mm-hmm. When suddenly the earth rumbles and there's a badger in front of us, mm-hmm. my character freezes up yep. and goes, we need a plan. Yeah, well, we don't have time to make a plan. Yeah, and what's interesting about the traits is they're not just for your character. Mm-hmm. That's that's one of the key things is is that when a uh, when an an event occurs, and I'll use the term event, um, and you are sprung to make an action and uh, affect it with traits, other players can assist with their skills and with their traits, or deter or hinder. Yeah. So, for instance, yep. my character, um, which I'll be talking about a bit later in the way that it's built, um, is very much the fighter of the group. A grizzled old mouse mm-hmm. who's done this before and dealt with things. Oak. Um, and because of that, he is very 
defense and combat forward. A good offense is the best defense, mm-hmm. you know, the first foot forward. So I'm very much on top of it because I'm using what knowledge I already have. This is where I know what to do. Yeah. But your character needs a plan and will try to pull things back to make a decision. Yeah. yeah. So that's where you would, I would come and say, well, I'm making a fighting role. Okay. Who is going to help or hinder this? And your character goes, you know what? I have to hinder this because my I, character's not going to help. Yeah, like, exactly. I, I, I have to be too rational about this, and I'm going to be sitting there stammering about making a plan while you're drawing your sword and rushing in. Right. You know? And so that takes dice away from my pool, mm-hmm. which is, again, part of that system that doesn't exist anywhere else. Exactly. It's um, not that you're trying to get me to, and we'll use the word, fail at my role, and that's something that actively as a player you mm-hmm. have to get out of your head for this system yeah because otherwise yeah. you're going to take a lot personally or your players in your group just won't do it it took it took at least me I, I can only speak for myself here but it took me a couple game sessions to like not feel bad about hindering other people's roles mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i got i've got our, our storyteller sitting there just smiling at me going like do it like yes scrape dice off of their die pool like absolutely this is what this game is about you know and i'm like i'm so sorry i'm so sorry but i'm gonna be rational i i'm I'm gonna have to hinder that by one and they're like no no don't don't it's okay it's part of it's part of the thing it's okay the story will go on you know but you what's interesting is you mark when you do that yeah you make a note to say you've done that. We'll we'll get into that a little bit more in the gameplay part because there there's mm-hmm. more about how traits kind of interact with the with the world and how the gameplay actually flows and such like that. Yeah. Um. But I want to talk a little bit about nature because that's the last part of character yes. creation. Yes. Um. And nature is actually a very big part of um, who you are as a mouse. Um. Because it's you got to keep in mind that it's very easy to be like we're we're just tiny people, um, and act very human. Right. But nature is kind of that thing that, that um, brings you back to constantly focusing on the idea that you are not a person. You're a mouse. Mm-hmm. And you do mice things. And so depending on uh, uh, what paths you pick, you know, what, what various options you pick during, during character creation, um, your nature starts at three, will max out at seven. Um and it basically describes the um, the balance between how, and I'm going to put this in air quotes, you can't see it because this is a podcast, um, quote, human you are, mm-hmm. or humanoid, right. et cetera, sentient. So, yeah, sentient, um, civilized, if you will. Versus how mouse-like, how feral you are. Right. Um, and when we say mouse-like, we're thinking we, mice tend to have fear. They mm-hmm. tend to cower. Yep. They tend to run away. Well, when you're doing character creation, mm-hmm. your nature starts at three, and then you answer three simple questions. Do you save for winter, even if it means going without something now, or do you use what you have when you need it? Mm-hmm. Okay. Question number two. When confronted, do you stand your ground and fight, or do you run and hide? Right. And question number three, and I love this question, do you fear owls, weasels, and wolves? Mm-hmm. Simple yes or no question. Mm-hmm. And depending on how you answer them, they each have different stat tweaks and pluses or minuses to your nature. Yep. And uh, so nature is a stat that you can tap for doing mouse-like things. Mm-hmm. And like you said, escaping, climbing, hiding, and foraging. Yep. Those are the four options. Right. If you are doing one of those four things, you can roll nature. Yep. And 
it, it never expends it. You get it for free, basically. Yep. And you can do that instead of using the thing that you're supposed to be using. So normally, like, if I'm hiding, mm-hmm. it would be like, what, a stealth check, right? Yeah, yeah. Or sneaking or whatever they, Sne- whatever yeah, they yeah. call it in. Yeah, in I, can't, I can't remember the exact system quote. But hiding is something a mouse, uh, a mouse does. Mm-hmm. I can just use my nature for that. And if yep. my nature is five versus my completely untrained stealth of like one or two. Right. My logical, you know, self. Right. I'm not, I'm not logically thinking. I'm not person thinking and going, right. well, the shadows are deeper over. No, I'm a mouse. Right. Hiding is what I do. I'm mm-hmm. just going to let my mouse instincts take over and be a mouse. Mm-hmm. You know, same thing for climbing, same thing for foraging. And, but, you can use it for not mouse-like things, but you risk expending it then. And what happens is when that hits, if that if that ever hits zero for you, you essentially become too human, too sentient, too um, logical. You're now Nim. You're now a mouse of Nim. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you've almost become too too scientific, too analytical to be to relate to other mice. Right. Um, and you got to take some time off. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're like your character gets shelved for a little bit until you can kind of come back and realize that you're a mouse again. Yeah, it's it's have you become have you have you found your sentience so far that you really just can't connect? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's the same thing with uh, hitting seven nature. Mm-hmm. If you ever top out on nature, you become too feral, too mm-hmm. mouse like, and you're way too skittish at mm-hmm. that point to yeah. adventure. You can't be part of the guard. They need to take you back. Yep, and 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 slowly help you become spend the winter in lock haven mm-hmm. get your crap together <laughs> yeah exactly exactly <laughs> um so okay so in that one of the things that we that you were talking about is being able to tax your nature uh-huh and that's where you lose it temporarily mm-hmm. and and again you're you're rolling into uh in into it going into that and i think that's a neat mechanic that it can be temporary yeah yeah um because i think that's that's a neat thing that other systems like lack because they're not as narrative and that is a narrative piece mm-hmm. that you're talking about that has mechanics directly attached we're talking about the players mm-hmm. we're we're not talking about how the players interact with the world we're talking with how the players interact even with their own psyche yeah again a concept that is very foreign to a lot of games but there are parts of games that have that stress trauma things yeah. like that that we find really neat in other systems because they're about the character yep, yep. and I, I i think that's cool yeah absolutely i was a big fan of the nature system yeah um all right so getting into gameplay um now as we described earlier uh you know it's kind of a built-in gameplay loop in that you are part of the guard i mean the whole point of it is mouse guard you are part of the mouse guard right um so there's always uh jobs to do uh weather watching pathfinding mail delivery it's a big one um it's the only way that the different settlements communicate with each other um uh, escorting different groups of mice between the settlements um helping mice in need maintaining the scent border that became a big one yes um of dropping a, a special concoction of pheromones that make uh predators from the west think that everything on the east side of that scent border has been claimed by a gigantic uber predator that they don't want to mess with right so they just back away from it they're like oh okay i'll go somewhere else yep exactly and it's it's just part of the society it's what they do yeah. and they have to continue to put it out there it's like we we have this western front this this sort of uh, uh frontier wall almost mm-hmm. but it's not a wall it's just 
some stinky chemicals that we have pheromones that we throw out there yeah Uh yeah um but then also the seasons become a big almost antagonists in and of themselves well when you're that small even the smallest bit of weather makes a huge difference sure absolutely it feels catastrophic when anything major happens Uh, temperature changes migration of predatory animals um, is a big thing, you know, like in the fall, okay, are, are, are these, are these animals moving around? Are they trying to find a place to burrow down and hibernate? Mm-hmm. You know, is that going to affect us? Is something going to decide it wants to burrow into one of our settlements because it's cozy and warm in there? You know, uh, are we going to displace an entire settlement full of mice just before winter? Because there's a badger now here. Um, it's all, uh, it's it's really great in that it takes the small wonders of natural things and turns them into big problems you need to deal with. Um, and then winter, obviously, is a huge deal uh, because basically, like, the gameplay loop kind of goes through the seasons, mm-hmm. right? Um, winter, I think we're just hitting our... Are we just hitting our first winter or did we just get through our first winter? I think we're just hitting our first winter. Our first winter in-game, because I think we started in spring, like right after yes. the thaw. We, we, yes. Um, so we've we've come around. We are now coming up to our first winter. Yeah. And basically in, in winter, like, no travel happens. No, everybody, you're stuck in Lockhaven. Everybody closes it up and you're you're stuck in Lockhaven, which is like the capital city for the guard mice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so I'm kind of excited to see what happens there. Um, but the game overall, uh, I mean, that, that's sort of like where your, your gameplay elements are going to come in, but the story itself is broken into two phases. Correct. You've got the GM's turn mm-hmm. and then the player turn. Which is a great concept in my personal opinion. The G- the GM's turn open is what we consider traditional role play. Yes. Where... GM is presenting challenges, players are rolling stats or whatever to meet those challenges, and narration of those events that are non-challenge-based continue. Mm-hmm. So, But it's within the purview of the storyteller directing that. So you have the, in this case, the meat of the mission, you know, the guard mice having to deal with the challenges, whether it's uh, delivering something, you know, working with people who are in a caravan and getting them from point A to point B and guarding them along that path, mm-hmm. or scouting a path that, you know, over the last season may have changed drastically and yeah. getting it plotted on a map. Something that simple, just cutting through the wilderness between Lockhaven and a settlement. And Spruce Tuck or something. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, because there are known settlements that are out there, but it doesn't mean you can see them from Spruce Haven because their days of travel to get there by mouse foot. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't have horseback. You might have a beetle to help drag something, you know, but you're not going to like hop on a big bumblebee or a bird or something. Those things are going to eat you. Yeah. Also, those things aren't sentient like we are. No. So so... it's a different thing in that sense. Um, But in between those two points, you have everything that could go into them. The wild birds, creatures, large insects, Mm -hmm. you know, you've got the weather, whether it be rain, high winds, things getting knocked around, you know, uh, snow in some cases, other mice, even an animal Mm -hmm. doesn't even have to be a predator, doesn't even have to be a predator or any combination there and that make up the challenges to get to that point. The beauty of that, in my personal opinion, is the fact that it's very simple. Mm hmm. 
You don't have to come up with monsters and crazy events and dungeons and anything. Magical contrivances. And, yeah, you, yeah, you literally just give it a ba- what used to be a quote-unquote babbling brook that to them was maybe a foot across that to us doesn't even literally exist. It's, it's like a do-run. Suddenly becomes 50 feet across and two mice deep, and it's deadly. Yeah. Like, how are you going to get across that? One know? of our games was uh, very intense because there was a... Uh, one of the settlements had kind of a library in it. Mm-hmm. And uh, the whole settlement was flooding because a beaver nearby was starting to dam up the river. Starting. Starting to dam up the river. He'd probably put, like, a log across it. Mm-hmm. And that was enough to shift some water in that direction. And we were, like, busily making trenches. It was intense mm-hmm. because a beaver... Moved a log. Yes. Something that simple. It was super fun, too, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, we, uh, uh, and that that's, I think, like, that, that kind of gets us to the, to, the, to the next part here. And it's, like, the, the gameplay loop of success and failure and consequence and stuff like that, you know? Um, how all this intensity is kind of created is because failing a test doesn't necessarily mean failure, you know, in the traditional sense of like, oh, you screwed up, now the whole place is flooded, or you screwed up and someone dies. Like, that's not how things happen. But um, you might succeed with a condition, you know, uh, like, for instance, uh, I was, uh, our, our group was... Um, trying to fix the, the the western scent border uh through some machinations the the people who were supposed to be doing it got killed and we found the chemicals and basically we had to get it done before winter set in so uh our group was basically like look we don't have time to ask the professionals let's just try to do it ourselves and i messed up that role something awful yeah now do i die <laughs> no um does the scent border not get made no, I mean, I'm still dumping chemicals on the ground. It's not that difficult, but I got the stuff all over me because I didn't understand proper chemical handling, essentially. Yeah. Um, And ended up with the sick condition for, like, three game sessions. Yeah, because you, you also kept failing recovery. I kept failing recovery rolls, too, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, And once you fail that recovery roll, like, you need medical facilities Mm -hmm, and there mm -hmm. were none out on the frontier where we were so it's like um but that was that was my consequence like we still got the scent border done yeah you know like if we'd have if we would have failed more with the beaver and we failed a couple times there you know Mm -hmm. um but it just created complications for us it just created an extra obstacle we needed to get past an extra twist in the story it didn't end up getting anybody killed there was no catastrophic death or anything like that and i think because of that sort of storytelling style because of that that sort of gameplay you don't worry about failure so much you know yeah especially when the mechanics literally say to advance this you must fail you must fail exactly you must fail and succeed you don't have that sense of immediate doom right and i think uh the other aspect um in in regards to that uh in many ways is that uh and and i i I, let me i'm gonna rephrase i'm gonna roll back a little bit so when we play and we're using these mechanics during this dm's term in all honesty i would say maybe each player does a total of 
five rolls during the D- each during the DM turn, and that's not a busy game. That's yeah. not a very busy game. Yeah, I'd say that's probably accurate. That's five rolls, five checks. That's it. Mm-hmm. Think of how many checks you have for any other game system during an average game session. Yeah, and yeah. yet it's incredibly fun. It really is, and it still really feels is. intense. And I think what I love too is those about like every every single role feels like a negotiation of like, okay, well, I'm going to pathfind. All right, well, I'm going to assist, and I'm going to hinder, and I'm going to also yeah. assist. Well, I'm also going to hinder, and yep. there's there's input from one person's rolling the dice, but there's input from everybody in the group, and so mm-hmm. the whole table's involved, and mm-hmm. that's it's lovely. Um, and that kind of brings us to earning checks. Correct. That's what we were talking about earlier is using your traits in ways that hinder other players. Um, it's very much like uh, like hindrances in Swade or so, Savage Worlds. Um, hubris in Seven C. Hubris in Seven C. Compelled mm-hmm. aspects in Fate. You get something for inconveniencing the play at the table. Right. Um, and and that's a mechanic that's mm-hmm. there specifically to cause role play of negative aspects of your character um and essentially you earn what's called a check Mm -hmm. and these checks can be um you can either use them on the spot to recharge your traits Mm -hmm. because your traits can only be used a couple times depending on what what rank they are um or you save those until your player turn and each one of those can be cashed in for a move during your player turn yep um now before we get to the player turn i want to talk a little bit about combat or conflict I, I really want to say conflict. Because, I, yes. Because it's there's so much more conflict than combat. Also, I wrote conflict in capital letters, so that's a hint to you that that's the one. <laughs> yeah, that that's really what we're talking about here. Um, So it doesn't even have, this game does not even have a combat system to it. Right. Um, In the traditional sense of, like, Dungeons & Dragons, where you're going to roll initiative, and each person is going to hack away with their weapon that does 2d6 damage, and... Um, everybody has hit points or wounds or whatever that you're going to be taking. That's not how this game functions. Conflicts are abstract. They can be fights, but they can also be chases. They can right. also be arguments. Yep. They can also be grand wars. Sure. Either way, when you have two sides that are deliberately trying to vie for power or position or dominance over another you have a conflict and essentially what happens is you break into teams so the players would be one team and whoever else the 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 npcs or the animal or whatever else um that you're that you're up against is going to be another team each team then picks three maneuvers from attack defend feint and maneuver and in order first maneuver second maneuver or first move second move third move you each reveal at the same time right because actions happen at the same time exactly and uh everybody on the team gets a turn Mm -hmm. so like it might be your character oak that goes first it might be my character moira that goes second um everybody has to get a turn before someone else can go again and a mouse cannot take two turns in a row unless they're the only mouse in the conflict. Mm-hmm. So it it doesn't have initiative so much as it just has um, a round-robin order that makes sure that everybody has a say in the conflict. Yep. And then, um, depending on if you have decided to attack or defend or feint or maneuver, mm-hmm. depends on if you are rolling off 
or if you are just trying to uh, roll a, a an undefended essentially number, um, you don't have hit points. You mm-hmm. have your group has what's called disposition, which I like, and it's kind of like a an abstract measure of hit points. But they're not hit points because they're again this conflict conflict might not be a, a fight. Right. It might be a chase. What is hitting disposition zero? It means you've been caught. Mm-hmm. Disposition zero for an argument means you've been out-argued and people agree with your opponent. Yeah. Maybe you're stammering. You're left stammering at the end of it. Maybe. It could be anything. But one way or another, that argument is over and you are the clear loser. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Maybe. But, and this is what I really like about the system. You're going to be vying for, for, for disposition, okay? The outcomes of your rolls, your attacks, your feints, your maneuvers, your defenses, and stuff like that will go towards either raising your own disposition or lowering your opponent's, mm-hmm. okay? Obviously, first person to disposition zero loses. But there's a whole system of margin of success, okay? So if they have done a decent do- job and whittled your disposition down to, like, two points mm-hmm. you know out of the maybe eight you started with they've done quite a dis- bit of disposition damage to you at the end of the conflict you compare those and then the winner has to make a compromise to the loser based on how good the loser did during that composite that that conflict mm-hmm. now if this is a fight and the stated goal of that fight, and you must state this at the beginning, mm-hmm. that your intent is to kill. Right. Because otherwise, you just defeat them. Mm-hmm. You thwart them. Mm-hmm. You vanquish them. Yes. But you don't kill them. Nope. You have to say from the beginning that your goal is to kill. Even then, that's still subject to compromise. Mm-hmm. So, say we're in a conflict. Say the intent is to kill. Okay, fine. We lose the conflict, but we gave pretty well before we before we got overtaken. Right. I might get an action or two before my character is dispatched. Mm-hmm. That might be that might that action may even be limp back to the nearest town and deliver my last words. Right. Before I collapse and give into my wounds. Right. Um, it may be lashing out one last time at my would be killer. And wounding them as well. Take one with me. Mm-hmm. Um, it may be that I save the rest of the people on my team by sacrificing myself heroically. Right. And turn what could be two or three casualties into just one. Right. But there's a whole system for these compromises. And so even in conflicts, it's never an all or nothing thing. Yeah. I, one of the things that I, I thought was interesting was someone using the Princess Bride thing at the end of this. Uh-huh. Where it's like... I see that you have six fingers on your left hand. That is a compromise. You learned something yes. before you before you were taken. Yes, as a hostage. That's excellent. Like that is a that is a simplistic compromise. Mm-hmm. And uh, this section, I think, in 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 a unique way, is that as a storyteller, I think if you could pull this portion out and use it in other systems, a disposition while you had a conflict in D&D, Savage yeah. World, whatever, so that at the end of that conflict, even just as the storyteller, you do justice to this. There's rules very close to this in Savage Worlds for um, uh, mass combat and uh, social combat are actually is pretty close to this. But I would say I like this better. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and like even your equipment then too, like in, 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 so you're, you're then wondering, well, what good does it do to have swords and shields and such like that? Those add modifiers to your, um, uh, to your conflict rolls. So if I'm, if I'm wielding a spear, which my character does, um, spears are fast. They're plus one, um, plus one successes to a faint roll. And they also get close ranks plus one die, uh, if you're going to use them in a defense roll. So, um, depending on what equipment you have at hand, and this can count for other things too. So like if you're doing an argument, having research at hand mm-hmm. or evidence might count as uh, a quote unquote weapon in an attack in an argument. Yes, that's right? true. That is true. Uh-huh. So um, uh, it's it's really cool. It's really cool. I'm very enthusiastic. I don't think we've actually done a conflict though in our in our system. It's all been just based off of the regular roles so far. Yeah, yeah. So far. I, we've. I think it's more along the lines. It's just been easier. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think. I don't. I don't think we've gotten into a point where a conflict really needs to happen. But I feel like our next session we could. Yeah. With some of the stuff that we've talked about doing for those scenes, I think it would be neat to explore that. Again, well, that's up to our storyteller. It's quite possible. Yeah, but you know, I'm excited to see. Yep. So. Uh, so then that that's the GM turn. Mm-hmm. Okay, the GM turn ends basically when you complete your mission, when you find a safe haven, or when there's an extended period of downtime in the middle of a mission, and then you move into the player's turn. The player's turn is a sort of downtime turn. Is probably the easiest way to describe it. Um, it's basically where the players get to pursue their own goals. Um, they get to recover from any conditions that they've picked up along the way, uh, resolve any sort of personal conflicts or agendas or whatnot that's going on. Um, and this is where you're going to spend those checks that you've earned along the way, uh, by using your traits in hindering senses. Um, everybody gets one free check, um, Mm -hmm. at the beginning. And then kind of you just go around the table again. It's like, you know, no mouse may move twice in a row and no mouse may, uh, uh, everybody, everybody takes their check before any other mouse takes a second check. Right, right. Um, and you can do things like restock and rearm, uh, recover from your negative effects, like I said. Um, you I had re- that whole list that, uh, the other day yeah. where it came through. So yeah, yeah there's a lot of things a you can do. A lot of downtime stuff, I mean, yeah. I had a fight in my downtime. Yep, you walked straight up to your rival and just punched him and we got our Butts whooped oh, by yeah. him and his crew. We we totally did. It was great. Yeah, it, it, it's a bad scene because I I have a I have a a, a a villain basically. I I have someone who is a bully and a jerk. He's kind of a Gaston character. You were you were feeling angrier, so you had the I angry, was angry condition and because I was trying of some to, failure we'd taken. Yep, and I was gonna I I was like. I am going to have a fight to get over this anger. Na, 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 exactly. Na, I want to start a fight. And I literally saw this guy, and I'm like, I am going to give him a piece of my mind. And at, so it was. It turned out poorly for me, but at the same time, I got rid of the condition. For us, because as your patrol leader, I was like, you know what? No, I got to back up my guy. <laughs> I got I to gotta back your play here. And I'm not really generally the brawling sort, but yeah. I'm not going to let you do this alone. So yeah. I punched someone, too, and then we lost horribly. Yeah. And we came out of it with a bunch of bumps and bruises and still just absolutely pissed off. And But at the same time, gained a lot of narrative. Yeah. I knew, great, you, would, I knew you would stand scene. with me. It's a great regard, scene. You know, and 
it's those kinds of things uh-huh. that, uh, like, you brought a gift for someone. Oh, yeah. So we were heading back to Lockhaven, which mm-hmm. is, um, uh, you know, obviously they've got the, the guard central, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they have a big apiary there. So I had bought a uh, a little wood box that had some, like, bees carved into it and little honeycomb patterns mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And it was really cute. And um, uh, I was pretty sick at this point from the uh, from the chemicals and whatnot. And it took us getting all the way back to Lockhaven before I actually got, like, the professional care I needed to uh, recover. And um, Sable is the name of my, my rival, who's another apiarist. Um, and we, uh, we, we always butted heads when we were tending bees together. And uh, Sable's just a know-it-all, basically, and likes to essentially make me feel incompetent mm-hmm. in in comparison to them. Yeah. Um. And Sable walked up to me, and I was like, I swear to God, I don't even want to hear it from you. And I opened my mouth to basically just read them the riot act, and they went, you look like crap. Are you okay? Let's get you some help. And I was like, oh... I can't yell at you now. Yeah, You're being and took care of you and was compassionate about it. And so I uh, I was able to get rid of my sick condition, mm-hmm. and on my move, I bundled up that box who I was going to give to my mentor mm-hmm. and instead sent it to Sable with, yep. a thank you, with a thank you note. Yeah, and like it was easy to identify your nemesis and who they were. Uh-huh. We, we, we've troped up our characters, our, our nemesis is completely to make them simplify, but at the same time, they're still complex creatures. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, we're, we're not playing hard tropes. You can delight in the small tropes though. That's what, yeah. you know, I, I think, I think mouse guard is a great place to delight in the small tropes, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. just, just the simple comfort of playing a, a, a hard headed sword wielder, you know? And yeah, and that's it. That's as complex as your character needs to be because the problems you're dealing with aren't complex. There's no there's no liches from ancient cultures that have a mystical world-shifting stone trying to summon a Tarasque from beyond the nine hell. No, it's just it's a badger. Yeah. That's as deep as the story goes. It's a badger. It's not even the badger from last season. Right. It's just a badger. It's just a badger. Yeah. And like yeah, your character doesn't have a extensive background with multiple lordships and fallen princehoods and, you know, a, 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 an ain't an old cousin who you need to find because they went missing. No, nope, you grew no. up in Spruce Tuck, you took care of bees, now you're in the guard. Exactly. Like, yeah. Why are you in the guard? Because it's the right thing to do. It's the right, you know, it, it, I, everybody in the community should at least do it once, you know, kind of a thing. Like, yeah. that's your attitude. Or I was taken into the guard because they fed me. Yeah. <laughs> Like, I wanted to repay him for their kindness. Yeah. Boom. I, done. But that opens up so many more doors to continue then from. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it is a narrative forward game and it definitely shows for that. So because of that, there isn't really experience. No. And that's, that's the neat thing about the advancement. Okay. So, uh, your advancement is done in kind of two ways. Mm-hmm. Um, your typical end of game experience sort of stuff is not experience. No. You earn points for that, but we'll get to that in a moment. Your actual character advancement is done during the course of gameplay. Yep. Every number on your sheet, every skill, mm-hmm. every trait has uh, a P and mm-hmm. an F and then a number of uh, bubbles, essentially, a number of circles dots. next yeah. to dots to fill in. Um, and those are for pass and fail. Mm-hmm. 
uh, you earn your next rank in a skill or a trait by passing tests equal to it and failing tests equal to it minus one. Yep. So if you're going to raise your three to a four, that means you have to succeed three times and fail twice. Yep. And once you do that, and it might be right in the middle of a fight, you can do it. As soon as you fail or pass that that last check that, 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 that totals you out, you gain the next rank. Yep, because you're better at it. Erase your dots, start again. Yep. Your new rank is four. I will say we forget about that every time we play. The we game. we do. We keep like, we have to like keep reminding each other. Okay, did you did you log it? Did you log it? Did yep. you log it? Yep. <laughs> but that's that's the thing is is that the game doesn't make you lean on your stats and abilities. Yes, the power curve is incredibly flat in this yes. game. And, and it's so much more about the narrative than it is about the yeah. power curve. Right. So, I mean, which my lends go- to the other thing, which is persona points. Mm-hmm. And persona points are a part of the end. And we say end game, we're talking about after the player's turn. So, GM's turn, player's turn, end of session. Right. I've heard of people who do GM's turn, player's turn, gen play, player, maybe twice or three times in a full session, and then they do an end. If you're playing for a long time, yeah, it's typically like one or two hours for GM, one or two hours for player. Right, and some people like doing the loop like that, because they're like our old, you know, when we were young and we would play for eight hours straight, you know, and and grind into like a a whole weekend. I I could understand that. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same time, there's nothing wrong with just doing one and one and then calling it. But there are positions that the players pick an MVP, mm-hmm. a workhorse, an embodiment. Yes. You know, and these grant the the players who, you know, when the players as a group vote for this, you know, they pick the MVP, of which there can be only one. You have the workhorse, which I think can be more than one person, but one not one everyone. Person, yes. And the embodiment is, again, more than one person, but not everyone. Yes. Um. They get persona points, and persona points can be spent during play to do things. Mm-hmm. And that they kind of act as like inspiration dice, or or kind of like drama dice, where yes. they affect your roles. Yes, uh, they're I would say probably a little closer to Benny's, um, whereas fate points do end up a little bit more like. Um, Maybe like drama die because they've got a little more oomph to them. Uh, so there's fate points and, and persona points. Um, you not only have these uh, questions of like who's the MVP, who's the workhorse, who embodied their character the best, etc. But you also have things like did you act on your belief? That's a fate point. Did you work towards your goal but not accomplish it? That's a fate point. Did you accomplish it? That's a persona point instead of a fate point. So just by essentially living to your character's instincts, your goals, your beliefs, and such like that, um, you you also earn these fate points and these persona points. A fate point can be spent during play after you've made a roll. And any sixes you rolled on that now explode. In the sense that, if you're not familiar with the term of exploding, um, if you rolled a six on the, on, on any die... You get to pick that die back up and roll it again. And if that's a six, you roll it again. Mm-hmm. And if that's a six, you, you roll, roll it again. again. Um, and so you can conceivably with like four six sided dice roll eight successes, mm-hmm. you know, 
if you spend a fate point and you get yep. you get these rolling successes. Your dice don't normally do that without the expenditure of fate. Mm-hmm. But if you roll something excep- exceptionally good, you want to bury the needle on it, you go right for that. Yep. Persona points, on the other hand, are a lot more, um, a lot lower power, I think. Yes. Um, but to be spent a lot more freely. You can spend up to three Persona points on any given roll. Yeah. And it simply just adds an extra die. Yeah, they they feel a lot more like uh, the Savage World uh, dice. Um, what am I thinking of? Bennies? Bennies. It feels very much yeah. more like Bennies, where they are meant to be kind of available. Mm-hmm. You know, not necessarily given out during play, per se, but used in that kind of feeling where you should use these to change gameplay. Yeah, Persona points really feel like the candy jar at your, yeah. you know, at your mom's house, where it's like you, you don't you don't just grab one little candy; you grab a handful of M and M's out of it. You know. Yeah, and then the other is that you you can you can always tap your nature. Yes, which has its risks if it's against your nature. Right, but if you are foraging, climbing, hiding, or I forgot what the other one is. Forging, hiding, climbing, or uh, 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 retreating. Um, um, fleeing. Fleeing, I think, um, is, is inclusive of that. Uh, yes, then then it never costs you. Never costs you your nature. Um, so all these things are, are here at the end. And then so basically you're doing your end of game breakdown. You're like, okay, did you live up to your beliefs? Yes, you get some points for that. Did you, um, did you accomplish any of your goals? You get some points for that. And that's kind of how you recoup these point pools that get expended during play to kind of make your your roles bigger and better so you don't really have your experience points in the traditional sense true all right now that's mouse guard that is mouse guard (laughs) In, in a very very big nutshell i'm gonna try and say this now what are our actual closing thoughts on this? Because I know we have a lot of thoughts on this. We have a lot of feelings on this. I'm going to start with you. What do you think it does well? I have a whole list, but I'm going to start with you. Uh, okay, so for me, the thing that Mouse Guard does best is the heavy focus on narrative mm-hmm. and all of the game rules. Rather than just being vague, it's got very distinct and complex rules mm-hmm. that lean into the narrative gameplay and enhance it in a very wonderful way that makes it feel like you're immersed in the world, you're immersed in the story without ever having to worry about numbers and power curves and am I doing is is this round of mine the most efficient way I can use my you know it's 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 there's no min maxing in it. It's you, hard. You to... almost can't min max in it. You can, but it's 100 pounder to the system. I don't know that you can. Because even because your traits are all double-edged swords. Your nature is just kind of a matter of who your mouse is. But um, and what I'm saying is, is that you can, but by doing so, you're defeating the system. You will never achieve the min-max goal. By, because you being just a success all the time doesn't give you what you need. Well, okay, yeah, no, there's, there's, there's that, there's that because because you need to fail to advance, right? So always building a character that always succeeds is actually countercurrent to Correct. building a character that can experience the world and the gameplay. But also because of the nature of the gameplay, mm-hmm. um, 
unlike something like Dungeons and Dragons, which is very heavily combat based, so you build a combat character yes. to do combat things, mm-hmm. um, and you you can measure their efficiency mm-hmm. numerically. Correct. You can't do that in Mouse Guard. There's no you, there's no DPS maxing. <laughs> exactly. You you can't min max a character because what are you min maxing them towards? Right. Well, and again. You can lean a character in a direction, oh, but it automatically puts it to a narrative. My character is a fighter character. Right. Mine's, a, mine's an expert pathfinder. But I'm crappy at everything else that means. Exactly. I don't, <laughs> I suck at combat, but then there's you. But then, you know, you're like, okay, we've got to get through the wilderness. And you're like, oh, I don't, I don't know how to read a map. Yeah. My character's like, cool, that's what I do. Let's yeah. go. You know? And even over all of these campaigns, my character has had to learn how to communicate and raise up a tender paw beyond making them tough Mm -hmm. because that's the direction that he's good at i can make things tough yeah you know meanwhile you've had to learn how to make some make logical decisions quickly and teach that yeah you know yeah that and also take leadership Uh uh-huh and understand leadership and it's Again, it pushes that narrative edge. A lot about knowing knowing your strengths and weaknesses as well, you know, and that's one of the reasons why, like, I love Moira's and Oak's relationship mm-hmm. because I know when that badger just busts up out of the ground and I'm going, oh, crap, I don't have a plan for this. I don't have a plan for this. I don't have a plan for this. Mm. My next thought is Oak's got this. <laughs> exactly. So Oak is the dude who just draws his sword and charges. I can... I can let him handle this for a second until I can formulate a plan, and then we're absolutely executing it. But yeah. for right now, right, you're going to get my job done for right. me. And know? like like the Badger situation, like it happened so quickly that there was little time to do anything else, but my character is all about handling predators. Like, for, was it for, first foot in, first, first, uh, uh, first mouse forward? First mouse forward is your, yep. is your instinct. That is my instinct, yep. which again comes back to those things is that if you work on your instinct, it's helping you role play. Yeah. It's sh- reminding you what your character's first reaction to a situation is. Yeah. Yeah. You know, even though my character's a fighter character, I am still going to be the first mouse forward in any conflicting situation. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be right there helping trying to be in that instance yep even if i'm not doing the right thing yep you know but at least you moved i moved and being proactive is being best yes um so that that's my answer that's what i think mouse guard does well is is it's is is support a very heavily narrative style gameplay with no conceivable way to min max it yeah i think mouse guard does one thing Better than anything else. Okay. It breaks the paradigm better than any other system does. It is a complete system. You could take, technically, you could grab Mouse Guard as a system and play in another world. You Mm -hmm. could very easily. Sure. Sure. And by doing so, you would break your concept of how you play in that world. You're Mm -hmm. no longer doing D&D. I would love for one whole season of Critical Role to go to Mouse Guard, just to watch the community lose their damn mind because it's the same amazing stories with incredibly different roles. Yeah. They would roll maybe five times. Yeah. But the stories would be incredible. Yeah. The absolutely. conflicts would be unbelievable, and the characters would advance, and you would see just as much 
enjoyment and stress without this overlay of the need to stop playing characters because they're too powerful and it takes too long to go through all of their crap. Yes. Yes. And every system is subject to that in some way and where doesn't your power curve gets too tilted yeah. and doesn't handle it well whereas this system completely destroys that paradigm. Yeah. And makes it a complete system. It's not just a setting system. And for that I compliment Burning Wheel 100% and the way this goes. That is what it does well. If you want to break your brain of combat twinks and dealing with that without going to a system that is 100% narrative, you still want conflict, you still want roles, you want your players to feel like that, do it. Jump into Mouse Guard. It's not going to be easy. Mm -hmm. Your players are going to stumble trying to get their footing on the system if they played D&D for any period of time. Yeah, yeah. We stumbled. We stumbled. We are veterans at this, and we it took us a while to acclimate to just the idea that you, you, you can hinder other people, and what do you mean I don't have hit points? There's no initiative, there's no failure, there's none of the typical stuff that we're used to. It's just, let's sit around and tell a story about mice, you know? That's so good. So good. Um, all right. What do you think it does not do well? So I think the first thing that it, that it doesn't do service to, I'm not going to, I can't really say it doesn't do it well because it does it so differently, but I would say it does not handle getting someone into the system. Well, Mm -hmm. I think it lacks a certain sense of understanding of the system when you read it. It is written differently, but I think it's almost written in a foreign language in the way that it's laid out. And that is where I think it does a disservice. You really, because, and and again, I'm talking about a disservice to someone who has been part of traditional role play. Mm Mm-hmm. Traditional in the sense of what we've built within the community, within role playing as a, at large. We've been in it for a long enough time. We've moved through multiple systems where now we can look at a system like this and go, okay, I see what they're trying to do here. Also, we now have places where we can go to witness things. Mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. can watch a gameplay and go, oh, that's what's going on here. Years ago, we couldn't do that. At the True. time that this was written, just looking at the book, it was a daunting, hard shift. Yeah. And the way that it was written did not help in any way. Today's standards, I think that's changed a little bit. Um, but at the same time, um, it is its own world that is vastly different. Um, and you really do have to get into the entire book to explain it. It is not something that you can hand in a very quick card to someone and say, in a, in a single 12 and a half by 11 sheet of paper and say, here's the world. Um, we talk about uh, in 101 trying to present your idea to your players of what the world looks like and what the setting is. And although it's simplistic, the system is embedded into the world. Mm-hmm. And you've kind of got to have an understanding of the the whole mechanics of the world to understand your, who your character is within it. And I think in that sense, it, it doesn't do a very good job without really getting into the book. Like, we needed pages of the book as players to get a good understanding. Yeah, no. Um, 
I, I, I see where you're going. And I I'm not saying it's a horrible thing. No, 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 no. Here, here's. Uh, I mean, I, I think I'm going to agree with you, but I'm going to say that whereas you, you know, if if your feelings on it are are a ten, mine are around a six on this. Yeah. Um, in that I see where you're going, but I don't think that it's as big of an issue as you're making it sound. Maybe like, keep in mind. Oh, what I normally have a problem with the system. It's like okay, this this problem on the on the scale, it's like a seven, right? I'm putting this at like a three, right? But right, I'm right, communicating right. it like it's a seven. Like, gotcha, like, gotcha. I, I, I'm explaining the issue, but really isn't that big of an issue. You, but if you want a problem, there's your problem. You're a three. I'm at about a one and a half. Yeah. On this one, um, like, did the steak and potato taste bad? Do you, do you need me to give you a reason why I wouldn't have liked it? I mean, I cleaned my plate, but if you're looking for, for feedback... Exactly. <laughs> maybe yeah. it was cooked just a little too long and the plate was cold. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Like... Um, yeah, for... for I, I, found it, I found it easy to get into because there isn't... Um, I don't want to say there isn't a lot of depth to the story because there is... But no, I think, I think it's very simple to be like, you are the mouse guard. You're going to deliver mail to the next settlement over. You have to go through wilderness to do that. There are birds. Yeah. Some of those birds eat mice. Yeah. The complexities of the story are simplistic. And go. Mm-hmm. You know, I found that very easy to slip into. Mm-hmm. And, you know, after a couple of games, there was obviously some awkwardness where right. I thought I made some certain assumptions about how militaristic that uh, that the Mouse Guard were. I didn't read any of the comics beforehand. But honestly, I think if you've read, if you've read a couple of the comics, that's usually where your gateway into this is going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're not going to just pick up Mouse Guard ex nihilo, you know. And... Or take a look even – like, there's t- images all over the net of exactly. Mouse Guard. Exactly. So I think, like, if you read even one of the comics, that'll give you enough of a background to be able to get into the role-playing game and and play in a way that feels conducive to the setting. I think the one thing that you do put on here that is exceptionally hard is that if you're a person who likes physical copies of the book, I'm sorry. I wish you luck. It's going to be expensive. I looked it up on Amazon. First off, I went to the website because mm-hmm. I never like buying through Amazon. I was like buying through the, through the actual provider. They only have an Amazon link. They say buy our buy our book on Amazon. Okay, cool. Clickety. Sixty bucks for paperback, one hundred and twenty-five for hardcover. Lord have mercy. Why? Now, be, because it's not something that people buy anymore. They do digital. And luckily drive through is very good about this. It's thirteen dollars. I think it's, RPG had it for thirteen bucks. I yeah. think it's I think it's admirable that it's that price. I think that's a good price for this quality. Well worth the money. Good quality PDF. Oh yeah, high yeah. quality PDF. Well done. Well done. Um, so that that's that that's your distinction getting mm-hmm. into this system. Okay, I think that's fine. Yeah. So. All right, we have one question. Uh, we're already way over time. We're way so. over. I think this was good. Uh, so, anyways, Overwatch asks: uh, Mouse Guard has a whole set of unique mechanics and a very specific atmosphere, stressing both player and character cooperation, and really adding the environment as an antagonist. Mm-hmm. Are there any other genres or properties you think would be at home in Mouse Guard framework? Something that could take advantage of Mouse Guard's unique style of or systems. Uh, any other genres or properties would be home oh, mouse guard. I, so like one of the things that mouse guard does really well, um, for me just on the abstract is making the environment feel hostile. Like it is a thing that needs to be survived, but not aggressive or malevolent, mm-hmm. you know, um, like it needs to be respected mm-hmm. and, uh, the more you know how to navigate it, and the more you have like weather a weather watcher 
or mm-hmm. a pathfinder in your group, the more you can better navigate it and the less hostile it becomes. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like if you were going to tell a story about, um, I'm going to say Icarus. I was just going to throw that. You're in your, you're, so, so anybody who, who plays the video game Icarus, it just came out. It's about space survival, essentially. Going to a foreign planet as a miner. Yes. In your, you're uh, uh, dropped in in a space pod and basically told, okay, now survive. I feel like that style of gameplay would be very good. Like maybe your, your ship crash lands or maybe you are deep space explorers mm-hmm. looking for fruitful new planets upon which humanity might might settle might exploit for the resources or whatever you're, you're out there doing if you're looking for that players versus environment players versus nature style of gameplay um that explores it in not such a malevolent style um of of uh me versus them storytelling yeah expeditionary style gameplay yeah expeditionary st- thank you that's a beautiful way to put it coming to a new continent discovering what's there people have roles mm-hmm. you know and maybe you're you're leaving from a start position going out uh, an oregon trail style game yes. might be really good for this system yes uh, again what you're trying to do is simplify the world but at the same time, make it about the connections between people. I saw one person say that they ran a hero's burning wheel game. Okay. That leaned heavily on it, and it was uh, like it was, heroes is the TV show, like like From uh, early... heroics in uh, um, superhero style, but more DC, where okay. you're not super superheroes. You know, you're a a Batman. You're a Hawkeye. You're 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 more of a somebody who's who's there, who's better at what they do. You're an exceptional dude, right? But yeah. the game, it's more like masks in the sense that the game is more about how you're interacting with society mm-hmm. and your lives and things like that. That the challenges that you meet as as the as the guard, as the heroes, the superheroes, right, are things that you can handle. And that will get taken care of. And the whole conflict system with disposition fits so well with conflict and mm-hmm. how it how resolution works in real conflict yeah. that it fits so well within those systems that there are consequences. Yeah. There are compromises you compromises make. in conflict. You yeah. know, you have to say you're killing is another aspect of heroism mm-hmm. and superheroism is that you're not killing, you're just knocking out. Yeah. And so somebody said you could easily do like a uh, a alternative TMNT game with this or someplace where you've got very physical, real people in challenging situations who are doing efforts to try and think. Um, another one that I thought was intriguing was someone said doing like an SCP style game. Not necessarily to the horror side of it, mm-hmm. but to like the X Files or lighter side of that. Oh yeah, yeah. That this this that's this definitely the style that I like in the SAP thing. Yeah, um, where you're you're communicating with people, you're working with others. Your conflicts again have consequences, and you have to make you have to make compromises. And handling the end of those can mean a lot of different things. I was like, this could cover a lot of different narrative genres where you don't want high levels of stress. Yeah. You just want fun. Yeah, absolutely. To come out of it. And you can take those high level stress narrative high games and put them in this type of a system 
and get a very different gameplay out of them. Absolutely. So that's Absolutely. that's what I would say. That's yeah. what I would say. A game that you would think to run in um, Dread. Right. Run it in this. Yeah, well, I mean, I look. Okay, one of the things I I'm, I'm I, I love saying uh, about game systems is that your system teaches your players how it's supposed to be played. Yeah, you know what it focuses, what it uh, what it emphasizes, what it de-emphasizes, mm-hmm. what it straight out disallows. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, your players will do the safest and most efficient things most of the time, and so if there's no clear path to that, they'll make more in character choices. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're crunchier and and more, you know, tactical, they're going to make more tactical choices, yeah. you know. Um and so yeah, like if if you're trying to tell a specific story and you're using a uh, a set of rules that encourages role play and encourages um uh, uh you know, very in character decisions and um consequence and in compromise in all of their conflicts and where death really isn't a goal. Yeah. You know, then it's going to teach the players to play it like that. The other one that just came up in my mind, a firefly like game. I could see it. I could see it. It would be very good as firefly. Yeah. Journeying from one planet to the other. You have your downtime. You have your, your, your same sort of GM turn where between one port to the next, you've got your complications that you run into, or maybe at the port you run yeah, into your complications you deal with situations, there. yeah. And then finally you resolve that, you have your downtime where you get to hang out at the bar, or on the ship, repair the ship, refuel. Deal with consequences, deal with like nemesis, things like that. Exactly. Nemesis, nemesis, <laughs> nemesis. So yeah, I, I, I think that you could do a lot with yeah. this system. I really, really do. Yeah, absolutely. So it can teach quite a bit, so... All right. Well, I think we've uh, yammered on enough about this. We have. Um, Let me give you a 30-second for music. Absolutely love and enjoy. So uh, by all means, give it a check out. Uh, You will not be disappointed. And a big shout-out and thank you to our particular storyteller, the Mad Elf, um, for introducing us to this game and uh, allowing us to bring it back to you guys. So next week's topic is going to be care and feeding of your players. And this is all about making sure that your table is a fun and welcoming environment. It's that sort of thing that doesn't have anything to do with the game, but it is a very important part of your gaming environment you can find us on twitter at st underscore conclave on instagram at st underscore conclave on mixlr every wednesday night at 7 p.m at mixlr.com slash storyteller dash conclave um you can also find our link for our discord through our twitter or on our homepage at storytellerconclave.com we'd love to have you big shout out as always to our uh, patreon members for supporting us month after month especially nox and box sam arcane asylum sparkle motion veteran and Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Um, Our pre-show music is by Arcane Anthems. You can find that at patreon.com slash arcane anthems. The intro music was Beyond the Warriors by Geefrog. You can find that at geefrog.bandcamp.com or on Google Music. And our outro music, which you're hearing now, is Only Our Footprints in the Sand by Midair Machine. You can find them at freemusicarchive.org. We'd like to thank our families, Vicky and Sean, for (laughs) assisting us with this and putting up with us on doing this show. They help us out so much. All of our friends who have given us these stories and games to play and you our listeners we We love love you we love you so much good night good night